Hi, I'm Anthony Sharon, pastor of First Assembly of God of Greater Lansing, better known as GL First. I hope this message connects you to God's Word and His vision for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Oh, I am back from Florida. Do I look darker? Just wondering how many people would be like, yeah, she looks so dark. It's, it's not a black joke. It's just I don't like the sun. And I will say this, Elijah, um, he, he turned uh, like 50, 60 shades of black. And this dude, I, I looked at him and I was like, man, who, who are you? Like, he looked like a totally different person. It was crazy. He lives in the sun and just soaks it up. Uh, he, like the rest of my kids, um, they are uh, mixed. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, my wife, she's Greek and white, and I'm black and white, and so that makes them uh, like Puerto Rican, I think, <laughs> uh, because that's, that's what they look like. They look like, you know... Uh, it's funny. So they asked me, they, they, they look at my kids. If my kids go to Grand Ledge and they would always ask them, like, what are you? And, you know, if they ask me, this is what I tell them. I say they're white in the wintertime and they're, they're Puerto Rican in the summer. That's, that's what they are just because, you know. But no, they have no uh, Hispanic heritage. We're just blessed with good genes. My dad is dark as night and... Uh, it comes off in the sun. So thank you for sending us to Florida. We had an amazing time. Um, it took forever to get there. We could have got there uh, faster if we drove, but my wife wanted to fly really bad. She said, I'm not going to be trapped in the car for uh, 16 hours. I'm not going to do that. And it's not really her trapped in the car. She was like, I'm not going to be trapped in the car with a four-year-old. Okay, some of you guys can understand that. But with all the delays, it took us 16 hours to get there on a flight. And she was trapped not in a car, but in an airport. Where I kid you not, all the kids, because apparently, if, like Orlando, the flight section is the family section. Everybody with little kids. Okay, so all the mature, like Hawaii people and stuff like that, it feels like they have no kids in their flights gates, right? And they keep those gates way far away from the Orlando gate. And the Orlando gate, they have these kids just running around and causing all sorts of ruckus. Because after a while in the airport, you know, you're like really attached to your kid. At least I am. I'm a pretty protective dad, right? And you get really attached to him. You're like, no, do not leave my sight. Do not do it. Three hours later, you're like, whatever, man, just go. Just don't leave the airport. Because I guarantee you, nobody's taking you, right? Look at you, man. You're running around, tearing up stuff. They, they somehow, they, they always, like, start to merge together. And all these kids, like, gang up on everybody. I mean, you can see, like, single people coming through with their baggage, and uh, the kids were like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And just freaking these, kids, these people out. It was, it was an amazing experience other than sitting for 16 hours. But, um, and then Wednesday, Wednesday when we, you know, we came back, and uh, we came back just in time to be able to clean. And I got to tell you, the best part about cleaning 
is the conversations that we have. And this message today is a reminder. I was reminded of some things during a series of conversations with everybody. And I wanted to share this with you today. Um, and it's, we titled it Recalibrate. Because I think every once in a while, we need to kind of do some heart check things, right? We go to the doctors when we feel bad. I went to the doctors yesterday because apparently I woke up because I scratched myself in the eye. That's the only logical thing because I don't have a cat. Um, I do have a four-year-old that likes to flail and stuff in the, uh, flail's a good word. Uh, he likes to do that in his sleep and I, I believe that maybe he scratched me. But anyways, I woke up and I couldn't see out of my right eye. It was like crazy and uh, went to the doctors because I had something going on. There was evidence that there was something happening that I couldn't fix on my own, okay? And uh, they put in dye, they checked it and everything like that. And uh, come to find out, I have scratches on my cornea. And so I, uh, they gave me some medicated drops and lo and behold, I'm doing decent today. But I believe that in our lives, we have times where we have to do heart checks, uh, spiritual checks, okay? We got to know if we're in the right place, doing the right thing. Um, how many of you would like more direction from God in your life? Okay, here's, here's a little thing. Everyone should have raised their hand, right? I mean, nobody has it all figured out. We're all human in this place. And, and so... I believe that in certain times when we start asking, the harder the questions that we ask, the simpler probably the, that we need to make the gospel so that we can follow some of these things. Uh, because a lot of times we as humans like to really make things messy, don't we? Um, life life is, is hard, okay? It just, it just is. Uh, it doesn't matter what phase you're in. I believe that there are three things that uh, we are always doing. One of three things. We're either entering a storm, we're either in a storm, or we're seeing our way out of a storm. Okay? I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a really dark way of looking at things, but it's the truth, isn't it? And in these times, there are times where we can really start to learn a lot about who we are. And we can start to learn a lot about who God is. And we can start learning a lot about who God is to us personally. As a pastor, I get one question that uh, people like to dance around it and do different things. Uh, but the one question that I get is this. What, what do you think God wants me to do? They ask me. And they, they, they expect me to tell them what it is that, that God expects them to do. And here's the reality. I don't have that answer for you, okay? I know, don't be disappointed. Here's the reality. You have a direct line to God, and this answer is something that he should be able to give you himself, okay? You don't have to get it from me. I know it'd be a lot simpler if you could just come in and go, hey, pastor, tell me what I need to do in life. And I go, hey, do this, 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 and this. And then you leave and you go, man, life is so simple. No, we're not four years old anymore. That's how my four-year-old lives. We're adults. We have to actually walk through life 
and, and learn and, and figure things out a lot of times on our own. But what I want to do today is I want to simplify what it is, because that's a huge question. And I want to simplify the answer because I believe if we can simplify the answer, we can start to walk in God's truth for our lives. Amen? Okay. I was uh, looking through some things and I, uh, I noticed this uh, illustration. I thought it was pretty cool. It says this. Eagles are known for soaring. They glide in the air, and the amazing thing about eagles is that they don't work that hard to hang in the air like we do. You guys have all seen eagles fly, right? In Florida, I was sitting on our balcony, and you could see um, eagles and things like that in the mountains. It was so amazing. My view was amazing. (laughs) And you guys were stuck in Michigan. Not rubbing it in or anything, just saying that my view was amazing and it was cool. So, eagles, back to eagles. Eagles, they depend on wind gusts and updrafts to keep them up. When an eagle catches the wind, he can soar for a long time, just pausing every now and then to flap his wings a little bit. An eagle doesn't fly, furiously beating the air with his wings. If he did, many of them would probably just give up. You'd see eagles flying in the air and then just all of a sudden drop to the ground. Because the reality about eagles is this, that their wings are way too heavy uh, for them to be able to flap for any length of time. They rest on the power of the wind. Here's the reality. I think that many people are, are tired of fiercely fighting their way through life. Life has a way of exhausting you. Life has a way of beating you up, right? Life has, I mean, it, it just happens. And, and, and a lot of times we just need to rest in God's will and allow the power of his, his wind, his, his spirit to carry us. God would have us catch the wind. He wants us to link into his will so that we don't have to struggle unnecessarily where he's provided a way for each and every single one of us. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not something that is like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I can't do this. That's not it. That's not, that's not the God we serve. I remember uh, life being probably the hardest between the ages of 13 and 25-ish. Anybody remember those times? Anybody living in those times, 13 to 25? Life is is difficult, right? Like it's, you're trying to figure things out and put pieces uh, of this puzzle together called life. And you're going, what am I going to, what am I supposed to do? What kind of job am I supposed to have? What, who should I date? Should I get married? Who should I marry? Where should we get married? What day should we set to get married? I mean, all this stuff. What job do I take? Because if I take a job now, is it going to set the direction for the entire life, the next 70 years? Should I buy a car? Should I buy a new car, an old car? What should I do? What, what, how, what school am I going to go to? How am I going to pay for these things? Do I take out a student loan? Do I owe this forever? 
What degree do I get? Man, I'm telling you, young people have so much pressure on their plate. It's amazing. All of a sudden, everything is given to you until you're 18, and then you turn 18, and all of a sudden you have to have your whole life figured out. Isn't that amazing? You go from, hey, look, I do this, 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 and every single day, and you walk in this routine, and then all of a sudden you turn 18, and we throw an open house, and at this open house, you're supposed to answer every question about the rest of your life. It sounds like nonsense to me. Like, that's, that, that's not reality. I, I sometimes look at young people and say, listen, man, here, you have the gift of time on your hands. Which means this, you can fail so many times and get back up and be okay. So don't put all this pressure on yourself to figure out your entire life. When you, just a day ago, you were being told what to do with every second of your life. So this great question, what's God's will for my life? I think that's one of the things that Christians struggle with the most. And the reality is, is that from 18 to 25, yeah, life seemed hard. But then from 25 to 35, life seemed hard. And then from 35 to whatever age I am now, I can't even remember half the time. Life seems hard. And did you guys know this, that in business, there's this thing called the bell curve theory. And, and what it means is this, is that every seven years, every business has to reinvent itself. Because if it doesn't, it dies. Every organization has to reinvent itself. Because if it doesn't, it dies. So what is that? What, what's the takeaway from that? The takeaway is this, is that you are always going to be looking for what the future holds for you. Always. This is a question that you're going to get no matter if you're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. This is a question that we're going to constantly battle with. What's God's will for my life? Uh, everything is really magnified during these these transitional years of trying to figure out the next step. Everything seems so burdensome and so heavy on our shoulders. So, like I said, my goal today is this. I hope to relieve some pressure off of some people's shoulders about what the future may hold. Okay? Would you like some pressure relieved? Amen? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, God's will is a tricky thing. Has anybody ever been up uh, north to a lot of like Grand Haven or anything like that and seen those big boats that come in? Has anybody ever wondered how do they park those big things? Like, I, this is a question I started wondering. I was like, how do you park something? And they do, what they do is they kind of like parallel park sometimes, right? And you're like, you got this huge ship and you just kind of go, whoop. Whoop, and just kind of back it in and put it in a spot, right? It, that's not reality. They have to follow certain guides. And, and just like those ships, I believe that us as, as Christians, as human beings, we need to follow certain guides. And before we can search for God's personal will for your life, there's some things that you have to back up and do. Number one is this. I got it. 
written down right over here. What does that say? Moral. God's moral will. See, I believe that God's will for your life is broke down into three parts. Okay? And before you can ask him about your personal will, I think you need to understand his moral will for your life. His moral will is this. It's basically the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. Do this. Don't do this. They're very clear. Very, very succinct. You can find God's moral will in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. You know what that is? The Ten Commandments, right? That's his moral will. Don't steal. Don't lie. Obey your parents. Love God. Love your neighbor, and so on and so on and so on. I believe that God will never go against his moral will. He doesn't contradict it. And I get that that's Old Testament and then we got the New Testament and we don't under the law and all that stuff. But here's the reality. God does not change. So he's seen those things as not good for you. Right? It, It didn't just magically disappear and go, well, you can do it anyways. You can do it now. It's okay. We're in the New Testament times. That's not how he works. That's not how he operates. So this is what I believe that that this is really good for. I believe that a couple things. One, it's good to let us know how much we need a savior, right? But it also gives us direction. Do you know what the definition of sin is? There's a lot of definitions, but this is the one I'm going to use. I believe it's the Greek word amateo or something like that, right? And it just simply means this, missing the mark. You've heard that definition before, right? Some of you? Missing the mark. So I kind of equate that to this, that um, there's a target that God wants us to hit in our lives. And if we miss that target, that's a sin. That's a sin. You're not doing what it is that God wants you to do in life. And so his moral will helps us get a direction, helps us kind of go, okay, um, because look at this. I have 360 degrees of direction that I could go in in life. That's a lot. And so as I understand his moral will, do not murder. You must not commit adultery, which also means this. This is part of the conversation that we had on uh, Wednesday with Somebody that uh, God will never say, hey, um, you need to divorce your, your spouse so that I can bless your life and, and, and you can uh, move in with another person. He just won't do that. He doesn't go, hey, you know what? Um, I want you to get a divorce uh, so that uh, this person over here is more spiritual and, and I really want you to be with that person. Yet, we have people that will trick themselves into believing that. Anybody ever heard of that happening? Right? We, we've heard of that. In the church, people will believe that God has told them to leave their spouse and date somebody else. 
So I got to ask you, like, is it, is it the Bible telling you that? Is it Jesus telling you that? Is it the Holy Spirit telling you that? Or is it the fact that you just found that person on Facebook? Okay, so you got to understand that his moral will gets you in the right direction. That's what it does, okay? And so, like I said before, I have all of this direction that I could go into. I have 360 degrees of direction for my life. I could go left, I could go straight, I could dance around, stay in the same spot, do whatever. But all of a sudden, when I start to open up and go, hey, what what is God's will for my life? And the first thing that I see in the Bible is his moral will. These things, these commandments. And these commandments, they, it's not like they're, they're rules. What they are is they're, they're guidance for your life. Okay? They're the first aiming stake for you to be able to find your direction. So I know that, hey, this is the direction that I need to hit. If I don't hit this, that's a sin. This is my first marker in the whole scheme of life. This is my first marker. All right? His moral will is like a general direction for my life. If you don't get it in line with his moral will, you will end up going in the wrong direction altogether. Wondering why life seems so hard, why everything is so messed up. Ever ask yourself that? Well, then maybe you got to recalibrate your heart and just go, you know what? I need to get back in line with his moral will. The second part of God's will is this. It's his conditional will. You can find these things in the Bible as well. There are loads and loads of these. This is why I believe that it's important for you to read the Bible. This is one of the many reasons so that you can hear his voice. You ever hear somebody tell you that? You need to read the Bible on a daily basis so you can hear his voice. His voice telling you his conditional will. These are the, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will not happen or this other thing will happen, right? We've learned over the last uh, couple weeks, I thought that Pastor AJ did a, a great job. He told us that we give the devil, Satan, too much credit. See, I listened to it. In our lives, the devil made me do it. No, I don't think so. We went over Malachi chapter 3 a couple times, right? That's a conditional thing. It says, if you give, the floodgates will be open, right? But if you do not, you are robbing God, and your finances will be cursed. That's a condition. You don't have to do it. I don't believe that it's a heaven or hell issue, Right? I don't. You're not going to go to hell for not giving. But you know what? Your life is going to feel like hell a lot of the times when you don't do some of these conditional things. When you don't understand his conditional will. This is a principle 
kind of thing. A lot of times they call this uh, God's principal will. There's a lot of these. Look at Proverbs 11, 24. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Isn't that kind of crazy? Reaping and sowing. Proverbs 24, 17. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't get on Facebook and start going, ha, ah, did you see that? Can't believe they did that. So-and-so's wife just totally dumped him. I can't, that's so cool, right? No, it's not cool. You don't do that. Don't be happy when they stumble. Uh-oh, I seen so-and-so fell off that wagon. Don't do that. Verse 18 says this, for the Lord will be displeased with you. That's part of his condition. How many of you, you know, when I, my, my son, my four-year-old, and I, I use him a lot as illustration because I hang out with him a lot. And, uh, and we become pretty tight. We're close. We're good friends, right? We talk to each other. One thing I've noticed about him is that he is really sensitive to my feelings, He'll look at me and go, Dad, are you upset? I go, no, dude, I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm just a little frustrated. Why are you frustrated, Dad? I don't know, because you just dumped out all the chocolate all over the floor, and now I'm cleaning it. I'm cleaning it. And you're asking me why I'm upset, right? But he's very sensitive, and I believe that we have to have some sort of sensitivity to uh, the way that the Lord feels about us. He's our Father. He's our Father. If, if God is displeased with you, that should, that, you should kind of hurt a little bit for that, right? Don't you want your Father to be happy? I, I know that as a, as, a, as a father to my kids, I am uh, just, life is better when I'm in a good mood. Don't you know that? Right? I went disc golfing with my 19-year-old and my 4-year-old uh, Friday. And uh, I don't think we would have had a good time if I was angry the whole time. Right? Because I was in a good mood, it set the tone for everything else. I want my father to be in a good mood when we hang out, when we do things. I want him to be pleased with me. I want to please him. It's important to me. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Hmm. Proverbs 15, 1 through 2, and then skip down to verse 32. It says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. That's a condition, right? Isn't that a condition? What is it saying? It's saying, hey, th these are good things for life, okay? And, and we should be able to um, follow them, not because they're, they're rules, but because, you know what? Life is better when we do this. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. That's crazy. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. The Beatitudes, we went over this, right? 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. These are good ways to live your life. God is giving you direction in his word constantly. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of conditional things in the Bible. If then, this will happen. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. Wait a minute, I don't have to get angry and fight back? I, I can just go, you know what? God's got this. It says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. A true story is, uh, I found a, a true story about uh, um, the composer, um, Mendelssohn. Anybody ever heard, anybody listen to classical music? Anyways, he, uh, he went to a cathedral in Egypt, or in uh, Europe, and, uh, and they had just bought a new organ. And, and the guy who, uh, whose charge it was to, to take care of the organ didn't recognize uh, this musician, didn't recognize him, right? And so Mendelssohn said, hey, sir, may I please play this organ? And the caretaker of the organ said, oh, no, 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 no. This, this is our brand new organ. We can't just allow anyone to play it. Mendelssohn asked again, please, sir, let me play the organ. He says, no, no, I'm sorry. You don't understand. Uh, this, this organ is a million-dollar organ, buddy. It's not just for anybody, okay? I can't just let everybody, every, every person that walks in here go around and touch it. And he said again, he looked at him, he said, come on, um, please just, just let me play once. And finally, it wore on the guy's nerves and he said, fine. I'll let you play just for a second, then you got to get out of here, okay? And so Mendelssohn sat down and he started playing. And, and what came out of this organ was so amazing. Music like the man had never, ever heard started just coming through the pipes of this organ. He never heard sounds blended together in such uh, harmonious uh, ways. It, it touched him in his heart. He said, Mr., uh, who, who are you? And Mendelssohn introduced himself, and the man started, uh, it just kind of stared at him with kind of big eyes and just like feeling embarrassed, his mouth wide open, because now he recognized who stood in front of him. He felt embarrassed to think that he had been foolish enough to forbid such a great composer, the great Mendelssohn, to play this organ. He just didn't realize who was in his cathedral. We, as people, as Christians, as believers, 
we ought to be embarrassed that we don't recognize the power and the presence of God and give him the right to have his way in our lives. Because here's the reality. When you begin to understand who is in your heart, you will begin uh, to see music, harmonies, your life playing out in such a way that if everything just starts to line up. You ever, we believe things like this, like that God orders our steps. Yet we don't let him order our steps. We, we don't believe that he's going to reveal himself to us. Because we try to take control of every aspect of our lives. We try to skip these steps. And we go straight to, hey, what is your will for me, God? What am I supposed to do? And he says, you know what? I've been telling you all along. I'm in your heart. You need to start following my moral will. I'm in the word. I give you my word constantly over and over again. You need to start learning my conditional will. Here's one thing. I just want to say this. These things right here, this conditional will of God, it overrides all of your feelings. See, we, we tend to be led by our feelings in this society, don't we? Oh, I feel like doing this. Oh, I don't feel like doing that, so I don't. But the reality is, is that his conditional will, his moral will, they override any of our personal feelings. God is, is very mysterious in the way that he do, chooses to do things and, and, and why he does certain things. But he is also very practical in the way that he has set things up. Do you know that we serve a God of order? We do. I went over this many, many times. We have seven days in a week. We don't have sometimes eight. We don't have sometimes six. We have seven. We have 24 hours in a day. We don't have sometimes 25, sometimes 23. I know it feels like that, but that's not the reality. We tend to, you know, there's certain things that I do and, and, I, and I don't feel bad about doing them and and there are certain things that I do and I feel guilty about doing them and I have no f- business feeling guilty about doing it. Do you understand? These things override whatever feelings I have. My feelings are not indicators always of right and wrong or direction. They're just not. God will never tell you to cheat on a test so that you can get a better grade to get a better job. When we do that, what do we do? We take his moral will and we kind of dump it. And now we're directionless again. These are the things that, that we have to understand in life. God's principal will is a fine-tuning mechanism for finding God's personal will in your life. Here's the reality. So as I was talking about those ships that uh, come in, this is how they, they end up finding how to park, okay? They have, a, you have this big ship, and from all, like a huge distance away, what they do is they line up, they have three aiming stakes. They line up 
with the first one. And that tells them that they're in the right direction. They get that nose just lined right up to that first one. And then once they do that, they line up to the second one. And only then, and only then, way out in the land somewhere is another one. And once they line all three of those things up, they know where to go. See, when we line these two things up in our lives, all of a sudden, God's personal will becomes revealed to us. That's what we're all searching for. What do I do with my life? But we can't have that unless we line these things up first. We have to have these things lined up in our lives in order to find out what is his personal will. That's the third part here. God's personal will for my life. This is the part everybody seeks out. This is usually the first part of God's will that everyone looks for. Everyone seeks out, hey, you know what? What is it that God wants me to do in my life? But the fatal mistake and the simple truth is this, that without first finding these two parts, that will never be revealed to you. That's the reality. That's the reality. God's personal will for your life. I would love to stand up here and tell you exactly what, what it is that God has for your life. The what, the where, the why, the who, and the how. All these things that he has in store for you, but that is for you to discover for your own life. That is for you online to discover in your own life. I know you get people telling you stuff all the time, how to live, what to do. Um, I used to hate hearing things like that. I used to hate hearing what was best for me. But as I got older, I started to realize that I had to, um, I had to learn to receive a lot of these things. And as I become saved, I had to filter everything that people say to me through his moral will, his conditional will. And if it doesn't line up with these two things, then you know what? It doesn't, it's not part of my personal will. It's not part of, of what it is that, that, that God wants me to do. You can tell me all the things in the world, but if it doesn't get filtered through here and it doesn't line up, then it's not for me. God has a plan for your life. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a plan. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's not a secret. He is not withholding information from you. He is not withholding his future for you. He's not going, no, no, I, I got something for you, but you can't have it. <laughs> Nana boo boo. He doesn't do that. It's not the way God operates. He wants you to understand. He wants you to see everything that he has for you. He wants to make it very clear. Yeah, he does a lot of things mysteriously. There's a lot of things I don't understand, but this, this one I do. Before getting into ministry, my, my only goal in life was to make as much money as I could. That was my goal. I, uh, everything I, I, I tried to do revolved around that. I would sell insurance. I uh, became a trainer for the insurance companies. I moved from selling insurance to collecting money from insurance companies. 
uh, moved from collecting money from insurance companies to um, going into uh, chiropractic business. I'm not a chiropractor, but I do know business. And so we began to franchise these businesses. And I thought, man, you know what? And, and God the whole time was tugging at my heart. He was tugging at my heart saying, you know what? Um, you need to uh, get, I want you in ministry. I want you to do all these things in life. It was amazing because it didn't matter how much money we made. We were always broke. Why? Well, because I didn't follow his conditional wills. I didn't tithe. I didn't give. I was like, no, I grew up poor. So I was like, you know what, man, we're keeping all this. Mine. I had to open myself up to his moral will, his conditional will. And, and when I got into ministry, the craziest thing, um, we, we, we changed our whole life. We began to uh, order our lives around giving, order our lives around serving, um, trying to live according to his word. And it's amazing when we start doing that, all of a sudden he starts opening up doors, he starts to uh, provide we had more than enough on less than enough. Do you understand that? Before that, we had more than enough and it was never enough. Okay? I mean, we, we, we had debt. We had to pay down all of our debt. I mean, we, we had to go through a whole life change, but God made a way. And I got to tell you this too. Like, um, how many of you know that I was saved in this church? If you don't, you do now. Okay, I was saved in this church uh, under Pastor Kurt. And I, I, I had, I knew from an early age that God was tugging on my heart, but I just kept pushing it this way and pushing it away and pushing it away. And uh, I started working in, in children's church when we start, first got saved and first uh, became members here. I said, well, you know, the children are learning at this pace. I could probably learn at their pace. That's my thing, right? And so I, I started to learn at their pace, and I started working in children's church. And the more I worked, the more God stirred up in, in my life and called me to uh, teach kids. And so I started teaching kids, and I started doing things. Um, and before I know it, I was preaching to the kids. And before I know it, I came in, and I was uh, asking to go to ministry school and do an internship. So I did my internship here. I did, went to uh, three years of ministry school. and went through uh, all the different um, classifications. And then one Wednesday night, I come walking in, and we were sitting right over there. And uh, Pastor Kurt was up here, and he was preaching. He was doing his thing, and he was preaching from the floor at the time. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I, I like to stick my foot in my mouth sometimes. And, uh, and I did this a lot back in the day. And so I, I felt like he kept looking at me. And I'm like, oh, man. Right? I mean, to the point where he even said, hey, stay after. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? Right? What did, <laughs> I was freaked out. And so um, the whole time I'm feeling like he's just staring at me and I'm like, oh man, I'm in so much trouble. And so he comes and he goes, hey, um, Anthony, Christina, uh, I know you haven't graduated yet from, from, you know, ministry school. I know you've still got a few weeks and stuff. And 
Um, but there's a church in Saginaw, and I, and I really think that you and Christina would be a good fit. But you've got to know. And, and so we want to drive down there Saturday and take you. So him and Ann drove us down there, and uh, we looked at the church. And that meant I had to give up everything. Not just everything, but we had to move. I mean, I grew up in Lansing, so it was kind of like I have to leave home to do this. And, uh, and I just remember going, you know what, God? I will, I'll do this. Whatever you want, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give up everything for you. I know I had this timeline because I had this timeline in my head that in five years, I'm going to make as much money as I can store it up because I know if I go into ministry, I'm just going to be broke. That was my mentality, right? And so I, I had this whole plan and everything planned out and God, he wrecked the plan, but he did it in a good way. All he did was reveal to me what his personal will was. And check this out. So this is the thing. So I, I go in the week after and I... Uh, and I go, and it was just on a Sunday morning, I go into his office, and, uh, and I say, hey, Pastor Kurt, I got something to tell you. And he said, no, 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 don't answer me yet. He goes, I have another opportunity for you. Um, pastor Jim, the children's pastor and the Christian ed director is stepping down, and we'd like to bring you on as our children's pastor and Christian ed director. And I thought, what? I even even graduated from ministry school, and here I got two job offers, right? And now I'm struggling. I'm like, okay, which direction do I choose? Which direction do I choose? And he said, take some time, think about it. And so I remember uh, the week later, I was preaching in, in children's church. And God gave me a clear vision. And I wasn't even preaching. I don't even remember what I was preaching on. But God gave me a vision of Abraham and his son Isaac. And he gave me the, the vision of, of, of Abraham sacrificing his son. And just at the last minute, he said, you know what? Don't do that. Stop. And what does that mean to me? You know, he looked, I felt in my spirit that he was speaking to me. And he said, I wanted to see if you would give up everything for me. And now that you have, I want to give you what you want. And what I wanted was to stay in my church with my friends, family, just people that, you know, you grew up in the faith with. So I did. I, I, I said, yeah, okay, I felt a release like I could. But I wouldn't have felt that release if I didn't have these things lined up. These things right here give me a clear guidance in my life. They give me clear direction. And so many of us are looking for direction. And I believe sometimes when, we're, when, we're, when we feel lost, it's because we just did not calibrate our hearts in the right direction. Because once we do that, the personal will is the easy part. That's the easy part. Life is hard enough. And I believe God knows that. I believe he knows that and he wants to make that part easy but we got to do our our part first this is one thing I realized in life through my story and there's more to my story and I'm not gonna bore you with with that but uh, 
this is one thing I do realize in my life. That whenever I run from God, whenever you run from God, it costs you. You have to pay the tab. What does that mean? It means this, whenever you run from God, you've got to pay for the trip of deserting his presence. You pay, you pay. But when you're in God's will, even if you don't like God's will, God will pick up the tab. Now that's huge. I hope that speaks to somebody in here. You're trying to figure out why life feels so burdensome. It's because you keep picking up the tab. You keep picking up the tab. Like I said, I just went to Florida and it's, it's crazy going on a trip and the church picking up the tab. They're responsible for paying our way. Now, when you go on your own vacation, when you go on your own trip, church doesn't pay for that, right? That's what I mean by God picking up the tab. Is that when you go your own way, when you go on your own trip, when you try to desert his will for your life, you pay for it 100% of the time. But when you're in line, he gladly picks up the tab and he makes a way. See, somehow he makes not enough more than enough. See, I, I, I love accounting. I love uh, how numbers work. And one thing that messes me up 100% of the time is this, is that God's accounting system does not align up with the world's accounting system. It just doesn't. You're not going to try to figure it out. That's the mysterious thing. All you got to do is get on board. And what getting on board means is making sure these things line up. I want to pray with you guys and gals, ladies. Dear Heavenly Father, as we uh, close out on this, I want to thank you for reminding me of your moral will, your conditional will, and helping these things line up. Because I think we all get off track sometimes. Life just has a way of turning our heads, has a way of getting us off course. And so I pray that you would use today as a refresher, as a reminder that if somebody has this burden of what is it that God wants me to do in life? Father, I pray that you would use this message to align your will with theirs so they can walk in step with you so they can see and feel and touch and taste that you are good because you are I know this that you pick up the tab you pay the bill every time I'm in step with you And I know this, that I can't afford life when I go off on my own. I can't afford life when I keep doing my own thing. I can't afford life when I keep making mistakes after mistakes after mistakes.
I know this, that life becomes frustrating. When I'm not aligned with your, your will, your moral will, your conditional will, Lord, and certainly your personal will for me. Then I try to fill gaps in my heart with things that are harmful, not just to me, but my family, my friends, our faith community. I know that when we do this, Lord, we become hurt. We become pained in our hearts. This is when we start to want to give up. Give up on life. When we say life is too hard, I can't do this no more. That's a sign that you are paying the bill on your own. So, Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this place that is feeling like that, if there's anybody online that is feeling like that, Father, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would touch their hearts, that you would touch their spirits, Lord, that you would lift them up out of the depths of, of, of this thing called life. That life begins to feel like the fiery pits of hell. And I don't believe that's the way you intended it, God. I don't believe that's the way you intended believers to walk around. We are more than conquerors. We are not victims. We are victorious. We live on point, we live on purpose, we live on mission. We live according to the will of God. And if we don't, that's when we want to give up. That's when we drown our sorrows in things that don't help us, in substances. So, Father, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to align our lives, our wills up with yours. Father, if there's people out there right now that don't know you as Savior, see, that's the first step. That's the first step. You can't even see his moral will for your life if you don't have Jesus in your heart. Jesus died. 2,000 years ago for your sins, over 2,000 years ago for all of your sins. He said, I want to cleanse you because our God cannot even see you in all of your filth and all of the mistakes and all the things that we've done, all the thoughts that we've had. So we need to be cleansed. And the way we get cleansed is this, by accepting Jesus into our lives. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we're adopted into the family. We become sons and daughters of the King Most High. That means that your life is valuable. That means that you are valuable. He's paid a price that none of us can afford. 
He picked up the tab. That's what happens when you bow your head and, and, and get down on your knees and begin to open up your hearts to him. So right now, I just want to pray. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that 360 degrees that I was talking about, what that, what that translates is this, in directionless. We have no direction for our lives. We just go around left or right or straight or stop. We, we don't even know. So Father, right now, I pray that you begin knocking on the hearts of those people. And as I pray this prayer, make it yours. You don't have to repeat it out loud. You don't have to do any of that. All you got to do is just open up your heart and make this prayer yours. Dear Heavenly Father, I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I know that Jesus, you died on that cross for my sins. So I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me. And I know that the Bible says that if I ask, you will do that. You will forgive all my sins. So please, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I ask for that direction in my life. What direction do I need to go? Father, I pray that you would reveal your moral will to people that you would reveal your conditional will to people and that through that you will start to reveal your personal will for every single one of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thanks for joining us. I hope this message blessed you. Our goal is to connect you to God's people, God's word, and his mission for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Again, that's glfirst.org. Hope to see you next week. God bless.